you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter one. Uh, we're going to begin with Isaiah. Uh, I have a lot of scripture reading this morning and I have been through Isaiah one trying to figure out where to stop and where to cut it off and what not to read. And that doesn't work out well for a preacher. You just want to read the whole thing. So uh, we're going to read and uh, I don't know how far we'll get through. But here's what I want you to understand as we read Isaiah in the in Judaism, in the synagogues, there is a regularly scheduled reading uh, to read the law and the prophets, Old Testament. And that is on a schedule that has been established and is the same for all synagogues. And it has been established since before Christ came, since before uh, the B.C. days, since before the A.D. days. I got confused. Please forgive me. Since before A.D. when we're back in the before Christ days. It's been the same schedule. The same chapters are read together. And uh one of those chapters that is read is Isaiah chapter 1, and it is read in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And the reason we're reading this is because Paul and Barnabas show up at the synagogue, and this is what was read. So before we get into the Acts chapter 13, I want us to hear what those people who listened to Paul's sermon would have heard, at least, at least a snippet. Isaiah chapter 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which was which was during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner. And a donkey knows its manager, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. Where will you be stricken again? As you continue in your rebellion. But parents, what that means is, where can I spank you that I haven't already spanked you? Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is nothing sound in it, only bruises, welts, raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged or softened with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields Strangers are devouring them in your presence. It is desolation as overthrown by strangers. The daughters of Zion, the daughter of Zion is felt like a shelter in a vineyard. Like a watchman hurt in a cucumber field, like a city besieged. Listen to verse nine. Unless the Lord of hosts had left a few survivors we would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. Hear the words of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He continues to speak about Israel's sin. 
And so we get a taste here. Um, and we'll, we'll have more of that as we dig into Acts 13. So now let's flip over to the New Testament, Acts chapter 13. We've been working through this book, this, this book of Acts. Most recently, we've seen these missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, sent out. Being sent out, they went to Cyprus. If you'll remember, they were, um, they were there and they encountered opposition from a, a magician named Elymas. And we saw in verse 12 of chapter 13 that the governor uh, was amazed by the word of God that he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And today we'll pick up in verse 13, Acts chapter 13, verse 13, and we'll read through verse 43. Now, Paul and his companions put out from, whew, I got to slow down. I'm, I'm ramped up and I got too much to say and I'm worried about the time. So y'all listen fast and I'll try to talk a little slower. Now, Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos, came to Perga in Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived in Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading of the law by, and, and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for all the people, say it. And Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chosen uh, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he had also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to the promise, God also brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. But behold, one is coming after me. The sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers. Sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God to us. The message of this salvation has been sent for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the declaration of the prophets, which were read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no grounds for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out everything that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. 
And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to those of us who are the descendants by raising Jesus. It is also written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have fathered you. As for the fact that he raised him from the dead, never again to return to decay. He has spoken in this way. I will give you, I will give you the holy and faithful mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, which is 16, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay for David. After he served God's purposes in his own generation, died and was buried among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through him forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is free from all the things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, see that the thing spoken of the prophets does not come upon you. Look, you scoffers, and be astonished and perish. For I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people were repeated, uh, repeatedly begged to have these things spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the meetings of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and God-fearing proselytes followed Barnabas and uh, Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking to them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. Let's bow our heads and ask God's blessing on our time together. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you now asking your blessing. We pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. We pray that you would cause this preacher to decrease and that our Lord Jesus Christ would be magnified to us in this very hour. We pray that the message that we hear would truly be your word and not the invention or imagination of any man. God, we pray that we would hear. Help us, make us good hearers. Help us to receive the word with gladness and obedience. Help us to obey your commands, to believe your promises, to shun sin, to love righteousness. We pray that you purify your church by the washing of the water of the word and that you save sinners. These, we pray this in Christ's precious name and for your kingdom's sake. Amen. So today's sermon is basically about a sermon. We, we've had other sermons about a sermon. If you'll remember back earlier in our study in the book of Acts, uh, Peter's sermons are recorded. Uh, and Peter has been the primary preacher up to this time. But there have been some changes. And we've talked about the changes, but these changes are significant. And I wanted to just review some of those changes. And then there's some new changes. Uh, one person suggested that in chapter 13, the changes fall under these categories, leadership, label, location, listeners, and laborers. And if you like alliteration as much as I do, that is very satisfying. We're going to work through those things and see those changes. There was a leadership change up through these verses that we're looking at today. Barnabas has been the lead man. Barnabas has been listed first in the list. When people are listed, Barnabas was first. Paul was listed or Saul was listed last. 
Uh, and it seems that Barnabas up to this point had been the spokesperson. But now in the middle of chapter 13, we find the first name listed in the list as Paul. Paul and his associates or Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is now playing second fiddle. Barnabas playing second fiddle exhibits that he is truly an excellent man. To move from the first place to the second place in a gracious manner without jealousy and without hurt feelings is something that is quite amazing. Many of us would be challenged for that. Spurgeon penned a little couplet that captures the heart of the matter. He said this, it takes more skill than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. And it's true that second fiddle is difficult for many of us, but second fiddle is an important place. Remember that Paul, with superior education, with superior giftings, Paul has played the second fiddle to Barnabas, showing his excellence of character. But now, as their leadership roles are switched and Paul takes the first place, Barnabas gets to show his excellence of character by playing second fiddle. A man who can lead is a man who can follow. Often I tell young women who are looking for a husband or young men who are wondering what do I need to be to be good husband material, that a husband must be a good leader and a way to tell if a man's gonna be a good leader is to see how he follows. Good preaching. Just is the man humble? Is a man submitted to authority over him? Is a man teachable? If he cannot play second fiddle, then he won't be a good first chair. I thought about you, brother. I thought that's probably true when putting together a, an orchestra or putting together a band or putting together, if you can't follow well then you won't be a good leader Paul and Barnabas have both exhibited that they can follow well even as they have switched roles in this ministry in this missionary ministry work there was a change in leadership and there was a change in label we have called this man by the name Saul all the way up to this point but now Saul who was called Saul is now Paul his moniker has changed. It's a, not a new name. It's a name that he likely has had all along, but it's a name suited for his ministry among Gentiles. Saul is a very Jewish name. Paul or Paulus is a Gentile name, a Roman name. So he has now been going by this name and we'll see that throughout the rest of our study. There was a change in leadership. There was a change in label. There's a change in location. We read here at the beginning of this, these verses, verse 13 and following, that they have moved now. They, they started in Antioch, they moved to Cyprus, and now they have moved to a place called Pisidian Antioch. Uh, this is thought to have been the move from Cyprus to Pisidian Antioch, thought to have been a very rough area for travel. The terrain was tough to travel, and there was dangers from thieves Robbers, highwaymen, it was a hard place to go, a hard trip. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul wrote about some of the difficulties that he's faced. He wrote this in verse 26. 
I have been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my countrymen, danger from Gentiles, danger in cities, danger in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brethren. Many think that this journey that he's on now going to Pisidian Antioch is what he's speaking about when he talks about dangers from rivers and robbers and wilderness and the like. The change in location is worth noting because of these factors. There was a change in label. There was a change in leadership. There was a change in location. And there was a change in listeners. Now we know this, but just to mention it and keep all our L's straight. Uh, this first missionary journey, uh, still Paul and his companions would go to the areas where there were Jews and where there were Jewish synagogues. As a matter of fact, this sermon today is, is a sermon preached by Paul in a Jewish synagogue. But increasingly, as we move forward, we will see Paul's ministry, Paul and his companions ministry increasingly to a Gentile audience. And lastly, we see that there was a change in laborers. We read in verse 13, it says that John left the team. John left them and went back to Jerusalem. This is not the apostle John, the disciple John. This is John Mark. John Mark, who had come with them. Remember, young John Mark was Barnabas' cousin. He had been along at the beginning as a helper. But now we read in verse 13 that he is going back home. Now, there are several uh, who would speculate as to why he's going back home. He has served as a helper. There are several reasons why we might think he was young. He was a young man. So perhaps the journey ahead of them was more than he wanted to take on. Perhaps he was fearful of the journey and he just decided, I'll just go back home and not have to face that fear. John Mark was also apparently from a fairly genteel upbringing. If you'll remember the upper room where they celebrated the last supper and Jesus established the Lord's table, that was a property or a place that belonged to Mark's family. Remember when Peter was in prison and the church gathered at someone's home to pray, they gathered at the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark. That's a home big enough for the church to gather at. That was a big place. He was apparently uh, rather well off. So maybe the harsh conditions that lie ahead of them were just outside his comfort zone. Maybe he was more like me and thinks La Quinta is really roughing it. And I'm not up for this. So, so perhaps that's why he went home. Others have suggested that this change in leadership where Barnabas, who was the lead man, Paul playing second fiddle, and they have switched. Some have suggested that maybe that came to bear on John Mark's decision. Cousin Barnabas has been in charge. Now he is no longer in charge. Now there's a Pauline takeover. And uh, just because Barnabas was good at, at reversing those roles and playing second fiddle doesn't necessarily mean that John Mark took that well. Maybe that was part of the issue. Whatever the reason is, and we're not told the reason for John Mark's departure. We're just told that he departed. Whatever the reason is, we know that it was a big deal. It, it, it no doubt put additional strain on the others in the group. And Paul clearly saw it as an abandonment. Later, when they set out on a second missionary journey and they're trying to get their team together, Barnabas says, let's bring old John Mark. What a good guy he would be. And Paul vehemently opposes that and it causes those brothers to split uh, and, and Paul 
uh, is not in favor of that. But as we think about John Mark leaving, I think Paul's words would be abandoning. As we think about that, before we, looking back, are ready to write John Mark off for good, we need to remember some things. John Mark is still valuable for the kingdom of God. Later, he will reunite with Barnabas and serve the Lord alongside him. The apostle Peter refers to John Mark in 1 Peter as a son in the faith, a son. So he was close to Peter uh, and their close relationship is evident because Peter was the primary resource as Mark wrote the gospel, which bears his name. So God would use John Mark even to write a gospel in our Bibles and later. Harsh Paul, who wasn't in favor of bringing John Mark along, later Paul would comment that John Mark is useful. This is a lesson to each and every one of us. When we have a failure, and we all have failures, it doesn't mean that we are down and out. Mark received grace and forgiveness and was allowed to mature. So we should remember when we see in ourselves or think about this, when we see it in others, immaturity, behavior, unbecoming a Christian, know that they have disappointed and they know that they have disappointed, but they may need a chance to grow. They need a, may need a chance to mature a little to get back into service. John Mark certainly needed a little more time. There was a change in label, a change in leadership, a change in location and listeners and laborers. And that's where we pick up in verse 14. All that introduction and it's five minutes till 12. Verse 14. But going from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch and on the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue and sat down. You may wonder why Paul, and we know Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles, why Paul, after the gospel has come to the Gentiles, why do they, do they still go to the synagogue? He, his practice starting here and moving forward is this, that he goes to the synagogue first, that his ministry begins there. And after they have heard the gospel and after they have rejected Jesus Christ, then they go to the Gentiles. There's no need to look for a deep meaning or a, or a great plan. It is likely that Paul, the great apostle, is actually a human after all. It's likely that like many of us, Paul wanted a place to start that was that was a good on-ramp, that was a good inroad, that was an easy place to get going in a new place. You wanna find in a new place, somewhere that's comfortable, and the synagogue would have been that place for Paul and for Barnabas. They could go there, they could meet people. Remember, Paul was a former Pharisee, a former member of the Sanhedrin. This was his life for his whole life. He was that kind of man. He had been trained and educated by Gamaliel. 
And remember Barnabas, he also was a Jew, a Jewish Levite. And Barnabas would have been familiar with these things and comfortable with these things. So we don't need to look for any deeper sense. This made sense for them. This is the place to start. This is where we can begin a conversation about Jesus Christ. This is where we can go and preach. Verse 15 says, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Now I have learned as a pastor here in Waco, uh, we see a lot of pastors traveling through, bringing their wives to see the Chip and Joanna land stuff. And, and I have learned that when a pastor shows up on a Sunday morning, that man is on vacation. He is hoping to sit under the preaching of the word. He is not looking for an invitation to preach. That is most of the time that's the case. Uh, sometimes it is appropriate to have a pastor come and preach for us, a visiting pastor. Not too long ago, we had Pastor John Giarizzo come and preach for us. And what a blessing that was. Coming up in September as we prepare for our pastor's conference at the uh, Texas Area Association of Reformed Baptist Churches. Uh, we hope that uh, Brother Rich Barcellus will join us and be able to come and share God's word with us. We look forward to that. Sometimes that is good. And it was good back then. When Paul and Barnabas come in and they sit, Paul was either recognized, oh, that's Saul of Tarsus. Or he might have been recognized as that's a student of Gamaliel. Or it could have been just that his dress, the way he carried himself, uh, those things indicated that he was one who could bring a sermon, one who could preach. Whatever the case, Paul was asked and Paul took the opportunity to preach. Now I want to address for a moment the fact that this appears to be impromptu. There, there, it seems like in the middle of church, right? In the middle of the synagogue meeting, somebody sends, hey, go back there and ask that guy on the next to the last row if he wants to preach. It seems like that. And then Paul says, yeah, I'm ready. It seems impromptu, like nothing was planned. And some use this to say, that's how we should preach. We should stand and we should say, okay, God, what are we going to do? Show me something. Help me out here that we should just preach without any preparation. And, and I would present to you that this is not the case here. Now, we read earlier from uh, Isaiah chapter one, and I pointed out to you that there was a regularly scheduled, planned ahead of time reading of the law and the prophets. So Paul would have showed up here. I, I'm imagining as their journey comes, I want to be there this Sabbath. I want to be there. I want to be there because I know what's going to be read. Do you know what the reading is for this coming week? The reading is Deuteronomy 1 and Isaiah 1. And I've been thinking about what I can say if, if I'm asked. I mean, I may not be asked, but if I'm asked, I've been thinking about what I can say. I want to make sure we are there on time so that we can get to that Sabbath meeting at the synagogue. I mean, that's the kind of thing. So Paul has not come in and just been asked out of the clear blue. Although, by the way, for all of you aspiring preachers, it is good to have a sermon on the quick draw that you can that you can preach. It's good to have one ready to go and be working on something. But this is not that. This is not impromptu, off the cuff. This is prepared. And you can tell as we read through this how methodical, how organized. That's the way Paul preached all the time. And this is no different. It is very much prepared. The point is that if we know 2,000 years later what was read there, Paul knew a few weeks before what would be read. 
and he prepared and he was ready to preach. Verse 22. No, that's not right. We already read that. I, I, want, I want to go back and just read it. You don't have to turn here, but I want to read to you from Isaiah 1 what Paul, before Paul preached to the people, they heard these words that indict the whole system of Judaism and its leaders. They heard this from Isaiah 1, verse 21 and following. How the faithful city has become a prostitute. She who was full of justice, righteousness once dwelled in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become waste. Your silver has become dross. What should be cooked off and scraped off to purify, you're just all dross. Your drink is diluted with water. Your rulers rebel and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and chases after a gift. This is an indictment of the people of Israel and Judaism and its leaders that was read in the presence of these people. And Paul preached after they heard those words. And Paul preached after they heard these words from Isaiah 1, these words of a promise of redemption. Verse 18 of Isaiah 1. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. This was an indictment of, the, of Judaism for rejecting Christ and a promise of redemption. And after these scriptures were read, maybe they weren't paying attention. I mean, they'd heard it before. Maybe they just weren't paying attention. Maybe they didn't know what to think about it. Paul stands and he preaches and he explains what all this is about. And we'll consider this, the sermon here in a moment in greater detail. But this was a prepared message. It's no excuse. This text is no excuse for a lazy preacher to come to the sacred desk to address God's covenant people without study and preparation. Verse 16, Paul stood up and motioned with his hand to say, and thus we have Paul's first recorded sermon in this text. Paul preached, and we have here a sense of what he said. This is a summary. We shouldn't think that this is the whole sermon. I mean, I just read it a few minutes ago in its entirety that we have in Acts 13 in, what, two or three minutes. And that's not the whole thing. Even if he took long Paul Washer-style pauses, this would not have been more than seven or eight minutes. And this is not, we should not think that this is the entirety of what he said. Paul preached long sermons. Remember one time Paul preached till midnight. Remember Eutychus fell asleep. And Eutychus was up in the balcony looking out the window, fell asleep and fell out and fell to his death. Paul preached that long. You know how long Paul preached? He raised Eutychus from the dead and finished the sermon. Yeah. <laughs> Paul preached long sermons. I'm just trying to... Because I know the time. I'm just trying to tell you. Paul preached long sermons. So this is not the entire message. It's what's recorded. It's a summary. And it's all that the Lord, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has for us. It's sufficient. It's all we need. It's interesting 
that we see Peter's sermons recorded in Acts in the same way. We get these summaries. Now, for the sake of time, as we look at this sermon, I want to I want to take it in big chunks rather than work through it verse by verse. I want to consider the main points we read through it. Now, let's just consider the main points. And, and if you'll follow along in these verses, you'll begin to see where these points are and where it comes out. The points are history, Jesus, justification, and then a warning and a call to repentant faith. History, Jesus, justification. Paul starts where these people are. He is speaking to Jews in a synagogue. Those who are Jews and those who are God-fearers. We see that in the text. God-fearers. Those who had not uh, submitted to circumcision, but they were uh, practicing in all the other ways that they could. They were listening to the teaching. They were Jews and God-fearers. And Paul has, has said later that to the Jew, I became as a Jew. And this is what he's doing here. He begins with their history, the history of the Jewish people. And as he recites and works through the history of the Jewish people, Paul is pointing out to them that God, sovereign God, has guided the history of the Jewish people by his provident hand. All along, God has guided them. God, it's not by accident. God has brought about all these things directing their steps and bringing them to the place where they are now. Then Paul makes a beeline to Jesus. Talk about the history. Remember the, the, the Samuel. Remember King Saul. You remember David. Oh, now David has an offspring. His name is Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Now that's, that's good preaching. That's what Paul did. What, what would it be if he preached about the history of the Jews and he never made it to Jesus? That's not Christian preaching. That's not what he's supposed to be doing. We need to beware. Just as a time of confession, I've preached sermons about David and Goliath that were just about David and Goliath. What a failure. What a failure. Now some of you have been here since I have matured and grown and understood what I'm supposed to be doing as a preacher when I went back and preached that again and that sermon's about Jesus. Noah's Ark. When that is preached that is not a story about Noah and a flood and a boat. That's about Jesus. Take me to any Old Testament passage. Now, I will confess, some are harder for my feeble mind to understand and to connect to Christ. But this one thing I know, the whole book is about Jesus. The whole thing. It's about Christ. And that is what Paul did. Paul preached Christ because that's Christian preaching. That is what he did. The subject was Christ. The content was Christ. The whole matter of the message is Christ. And Christ should be the center of preaching today. Christocentric preaching is the cornerstone of the church. 
We cannot, church, we cannot settle for self-help talk. We cannot settle for motivational speeches. The world has plenty of that stuff and they can do it better than we can do it. The world has that. You know what they don't have? Christ-centered preaching. That's where Paul was and that's where we must be. Paul preaches history and makes a beeline straight to Jesus and then to justification. Some people think Jesus came to be a baby in a manger. The end. That's the Christmas story. No, it's not. That's half the Christmas story. If your Christmas story doesn't include a cross and an empty tomb, you have only told half the story. Some people think Jesus came to be a wonderful example. Is Jesus an example? Yes, but that's not why he came. Some people think Jesus came to teach. He taught, but that's not why he came. He came to live and to die in the place of sinners. He came to redeem a people for himself. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's where Paul went from history to Jesus to justification. Preachers today better do that. We better preach. It's, it's not enough to tell a story. We have got to tell the story of Jesus justifying. Without Christ's soul saving blood, we have no hope. The church has no message. If we're going to leave the cross out, what are we doing? What are we doing? So the sermon moved from history to Jesus Christ to justification through Christ. And then he closes with a call to repentant faith. Now, this is not, he didn't say, if you would just bow your head and close your eyes and the instrumentalist would come forward and play just as I. This was not that kind of thing. Sometimes we Americans think that's the only way to call people to Christ. And sometimes we think that's the only way to respond to Christ. But Paul makes a very short but very clear call for the people to come to Jesus. Look at verse 40. Therefore, see that this thing spoken of the prophets does not come upon you. Look, you scoffers, and be astonished and perish. For I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will not, never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Paul, Paul speaks about all the rejection that had happened in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. And he says... All of that was spoken of by the prophets. It was prophesied and it came to pass. But you don't be the ones who reject Christ. Don't be like that. He warns that if they reject Christ, they will receive the condemnation spoken of. All that that they just read from Isaiah. Zion will be redeemed with justice and her repentant ones with righteousness. But wrongdoers and sinners together will be broken and those who abandon the Lord will come to an end. Those are more of the verses that they just heard read from Isaiah. 
Center today, I would, I would call you to hear these words of warning from the apostle. This is still true today. All those who abandon the Lord will come to a terrible end and sinners will be broken. Judaism was a, was a religion that said you do the work. You do the work and you can be good enough. There are many who teach that today. Just be good, be kind, don't lie. Be sweet and one day you'll go to heaven. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is not what Paul preached. By the way, that is no gospel. Because the Bible tells us clearly, and we know from our own life experience, there is none righteous. No one does good. No one seeks God. All we like sheep have turned astray. We go our own way. If we are left to say, well, be good, be good enough, and you'll get there. Be good, and you'll get to heaven. Who among us is good enough? No one. That is why God had to send his son to become the God man. Because he is good enough. And he came and he lived a life that we couldn't live. And he did it not because he needed the righteousness. He was already righteous. But he earned righteousness for us to be laid on us. Not because we're good enough, but because we trust in him. Because we believe in him. By faith we receive his righteousness. And he died on the cross, a cruel death, but he died with our sin being laid on him. And he bore up under the weight of God's wrath for our sin. And we received that forgiveness through his blood by faith. That was true when the apostle Paul stood in that synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. And it's true 2,000 years later today. I say with Paul, don't let the things spoken of by the prophets in the Old Testament be spoken about you. Come to Jesus. Come to him today and receive forgiveness of sin and eternal life. This is the call. This is the warning and call to repentance that Paul gave in this first recorded sermon. And this is still the call today for sinners. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would apply these things to our life. We pray as you are the saving God, as you are the one who grants faith and repentance, God, we pray that you would do this work. We pray for sinners. God, those who are here who have not yet professed faith in Jesus Christ or those who are here who may be trusting in, in doing good and being good, We pray that you would open their eyes and by faith that they would embrace Jesus Christ, his work, and his sacrifice. God, for those who are not here, our loved ones, our sons, our daughters, our, our fathers and mothers, those who, who hold on to stubborn pride, those who love their sin, God, we know that there, 
is no hope without you intervening. So we pray that you would save. We pray that you would reach down, that you would turn them, that you would draw them to Jesus Christ. God, for your church, we pray that you purify. God, where we may have where we may have put up with Old Testament storytelling that didn't lead to Christ, where we may have put up with something other than gospel preaching, God, forgive us. Give us, give us hearts, give us conviction for Christ and Him crucified as our sole message. God, as you raise up men who will proclaim your word, give them that burning passion to preach Jesus. For your church, sanctify us. You have saved us by your grace. You have saved us without, without works of our own, but relying on the works of Jesus Christ, but you have not left us to this. As your children, we now are being sanctified, being molded and shaped to look like Christ Jesus, our Savior. And Lord, we pray for this work. We pray that you who began a work would be faithful to complete it. And we know that we ask that you to your will. As we come to your table, we pray, Lord, your blessing on us now.